0: hey 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 do you love champagne if you do you gotta join me at the wine feed durham on december 28th at 7 p.m my friend and colleague deb lewis will be sharing her wonderful knowledge and beautiful champagnes from the vintage 59 portfolio and chef kevin durkin will be providing a few tasty treats to pair with these champagnes that's tuesday december 28th at 7 p.m google the wine feed durham look at their calendar and events page and sign up i'll see you there happy champagne times
1: thank you for downloading subscribing and telling your friends about the north carolina food and beverage podcast This episode is sponsored in part by Spot On, tech that helps your business grow. Request a demo at spoton.com. And Joe Van Gogh Coffee, serving the community from seed to cup. And now the cork in your wine and the bubbles in your brew. It's Max Trujillo and Matthew Weiss.
2: Hello, and thank you for listening to the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast. I am your co-host, Max Trujillo. And I am your co-host, Matthew Weiss, and we are in a
0: fresh new studio today. Thank you. To uh, Queenie's in Durham, we're recording here, and we are with the brain trust of Queenie's and Kingfisher to tell us all about their goings on here. We have the royalty of the place, Mr. Sean Umstead, Ms. Michelle VanderWalker, and joining us also their partner, King Kenny. Welcome, everybody. Thank
3: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, King is uh, not in the room. We're in a uh, sealed in a glass case of emotion here. Uh, King is uh, off site somewhere. You know, parts unknown. We don't even need. We don't need to know. We're going to ask questions. We're not going to ask that question where you are. <laughs> but I'm kidding when I say the glass case of emotion. I'm saying we are in the podcast studio, not at the kitchen, but in Durham at Queenie's podcast studio, which is not your common thing you have in a. Uh, in a burger joint, to say the least. So maybe, like, let's work ourselves from there and we'll work ourselves out. Michelle, you did the uh, kind of the design inside of this room. Is that right? Yes, I did. And why? What are we doing? (laughs) Why do we have a podcast studio inside of a burger
3: joint? Well, as a studio artist, I spend a lot of time by myself in my studio, and I've always loved listening to podcasts and audiobooks. Um, And when we looked at this space, there's this concrete room. It used to be a safe. The walls are almost two feet thick. So um, I decided to delete all of the available storage space that we would have and turn it into a (laughs) podcast studio instead. Um, And then the walls are made of leftover foam from my upholstery projects.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love like clapping in this room. It feels nice and tight. It's like good room for audio this is a good room to record a podcast in and uh, I,
0: I just thought that it was because I don't know when, it, when you guys were on our podcast originally like four years ago and it was in Max's basement that you're like this is horrendous <laughs> and we're gonna give these guys yeah. a real place to record <laughs> And like, yeah, yeah. and All you're free. that's what inspired you, yeah.
2: So, we're gonna move in
0: uh, <laughs> rent free, yeah. We'll be recording, and we'll here. have a
2: tab on the burgers and the downstairs cocktails. So, don't worry about that, we'll pay it quarterly, probably. We'll go from there, no. Uh, so. For those that don't know, and we'll, do, we'll give a little refresher, both uh, Sean and Michelle were on before in, yeah, it, you, I'm honestly, you were the last people to ever record in my basement at my house before we moved the, moved the studios to the kitchen in downtown Raleigh, and so a lot has transpired in that time, and you both ha- opened up Kingfisher, which is directly below where we're sitting at this moment in downtown Durham, and... Uh, I think
0: it's
4: next door. No,
0: it's downstairs. Below? It's oh, downstairs. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: And uh, never correct me, Matt. And <laughs> only five more. Times. You're not the first person to think it was next door. It's something about coming up those stairs pushes you into a different building, Midway. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but you but so
2: Kingfisher is subterranean, right? Right. And uh, but right here, I mean, right next to the Durham Hotel, or across the street from Alley Twenty Six M Sushi, right around the corner. So if you if you know where you're at, that's where we're at. We're in the heart of Durham, uh, and right above. I guess aptly named. You've got the King Fisher downstairs and above you have Queenie's. I'm calling it a burger joint. Am I right by saying that? It's much more than a burger joint, right? It
3: is much more than a burger joint. Please explain. (laughs) Sean.
4: Yeah. um, We did have a burger joint and have a future burger joint called Queen Burger. It was what we did during the pandemic. When bars weren't allowed to open, we turned our parking lot into a burger pop-up. We cooked smash burgers outside for it was literally 365 days of of smashing burgers and it was really well received and we kind of found a new way of accessing the community and kind of doing our style of hospitality in a way that I don't think we necessarily would have ever done if it wasn't for the pandemic like forcing mm. us into a food kind of space yeah which you know I think I'll probably hit this a lot but i I think the pandemic has offered lots of interesting lessons and opportunities uh, if you kind of view those as as such. So um, no doubt we learned that we could do food. Um, We also ended up hiring our first chef during that period. So we we had our our now chef at Queenie's, Steph Bell. They are um, originally from Iowa. They were working at a brewery. They moved during the pandemic and it was just a really nice fit. So um, we got to start ideating on what a real restaurant would look like. At the same time, this space was on its way to being a gluten-free bakery. It was, I'd say, a fifth built. And unfortunately for them and, and many, many people who were in the middle of projects early in the pandemic, they had to stop. So we, we had this combination of being doing food and like getting a handle on what that meant for us, having a restaurant that was being built above us, empty, and waiting for a tenant. And those two things kind of came together for us to do Queenie's. Um, when we felt, when we thought about what we wanted in this space and for this community, it, it seemed like it needed to be more than just a burger joint. You know, it's a big space. Um, and what we wanted to do was kind of add to the fabric of an already really good food town. We didn't really want to make a stand on any particular type of cuisine or, or say, you know, uh, here's our grand point of view on, on dining. We really wanted to make a point to be a community space. So I think that informs a lot of the choices we've made in terms of the food we do, uh, the style of service and like what we're 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 hoping it becomes, you know, we're we're 3 weeks old now so I don't know that we know exactly what it what it will be. Uh, <laughs> but but that's kind of the point. So the menu is chef-driven like bar and grill food, so we've got pork chop sandwich, a couple big salads, we've got burgers and fried pickles and um, you know, nachos and all kinds of food that is like Easy to consume, both mentally and and physically. Um, <laughs> maybe right, not. That, right. I mean, oh, physically easy to yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. Th- maybe um, not digest. in your mouth. You Yeah, not exactly the right word. But yeah. you know, we it's not it's not like a menu that super adventurous or super complicated. But it's all really thoughtfully done. We wanted to be at a price point that that f- that was a little bit different than what you find in a lot of downtown Durham restaurants. Um, we wanted to be a place where people felt like they could come. Every day, you know, show up whether you're having a beer and a burger or you're going to get five things or whatever. Like, we just wanted to be a place that felt like somewhere you could just pop into whenever you, whenever the mood struck. So, you know, that coupled with we are open late. We serve food, our full menu, until 2 a.m. Uh, we're currently open five days a week, but pretty soon we'll yeah. be open seven days a
2: week.
0: Wow. We that live.
2: makes you fairly unique in this market, <laughs> right? Yes. Because late nights... Late night's kind of gone the way of the dodo. Like late (laughs) night might be more dead than fine dining Uh. uh, in this like uh, reimagined food culture that we're in. And I think that's so sad, sad, shameful humans, because late night is I mean, it's weird. It's like, are we at that point where everyone's just like afraid or ashamed of going out? So they all want to pretend like they're not. So we close up early and we don't go out late. Is that? I mean, I know I'm getting older, so I don't really go out late anymore. But that's not. That's just me. the The rest of the world didn't get. Oh not come on! 44. Even a forty four year
0: old <laughs> Max Trujillo, if he was out partying, drinking in Dur- Durham, throwing back a couple of bourbons and beers, Oh yeah. you would definitely be at Queenie's at 1.30 a.m. having some burgers. Oh,
2: yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but I think, like, we've all been trained as diners to be like, oh, it's 9.30, time to pack it up. Well, time to you'd... call my Uber. Yeah. You know, and so it, I love that you're... You know, you're opening up, you know, you're, it's you and Taco Bell with that late third meal. You know? Us and
4: Cosmic Cantinas would have been told. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, That that's the go-to on Ninth Street certainly for late night stuff.
2: Is it, is it serve the purpose though also because then that allows, how does it work? Does it allow Kingfisher to be like open if the rules ever change? Like, oh, there's got to be food served because the bars weren't open. Uh, or at least bars that didn't sell food weren't allowed to be open during certain times.
4: So does this kind of help? Or are they totally separate businesses? They're, they're just separate businesses. It's really a reaction to the influx of people into Durham, you know, especially during the pandemic. I mean, we constantly met people moving from Boston or in New York or San Francisco or, you know, major markets that I think have different expectations of, of food culture, specifically, like, how often, when, when you can eat. And, you know, I think it's also an acknowledgement that, a, like, if you work in the food industry and you walk around Durham, you start noticing that a lot of people walking around are also working in restaurants, and you just get get to know them, and you, you kind of see the city in a different way, and a lot of people get off work in this town at yeah. 10, 11 o'clock in these restaurants. You say they close, you know, at pretty typical Dinner hours and, and you know they're hungry and uh, I can remember lots of nights Michelle and I would be here working trying to get this space open and then you know lo and behold it was ten thirty and it you know if, you better figure out how to cook and, and yeah. you know if that's what you've been doing all day and you it's you sometimes you don't want to so um, you know we've been open for three weeks and the reception's been really good um, and at that late hour yeah the weekends have been great um, we 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 chose. Also, for our opening hours, arbitrarily, like, kind of adjacent days to most of Durham, so we're open Thursday through Mondays. That Sunday-Monday is also a time that's sort of uh, not, a, not a completely dead period. Some restaurants are open, but I think the majority close. It's also a lot of industry people are off yeah. on those right. days, so you're serving them. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've noticed a lot of Tuesday closures in, in business, and it's like, I guess it's just as arbitrary as closing on a Monday or a Wednesday, but... Uh, yeah, I've noticed that in downtown Raleigh there's a lot of restaurants that are just closed Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure, why not? I mean, I, I don't mind the idea of being closed two days out of the week uh, just as far as when we're talking about the, the, the balance of family life and, and just regardless of family, just your own human life of not feeling like you need to be <laughs> –
4: going seven days a week so that's kind of cool yeah and kingfisher i mean is open five days a week you know we open uh tuesday through saturday um so we we certainly have run that style of business uh for a while i just feel like we wanted to concept something that could you know pretty consistently be available to the community and that's like what informed a lot of the decisions
0: We talk to all types of entrepreneurs, restaurateurs on this podcast, and some of them are making innovative new tacos or salsas, and they're perfecting the classic brisket, but they are all working to turn that love of food into a business, and that's often the bigger challenge. Our newest sponsor is here to help. Spot On works with popular local restaurants like the Ruddy Duck Tavern and the Village Market in eastern North Carolina, getting them set up with new technology they need to stay competitive in this industry. It's the kind of tech that the chain down the street is already using, but made specifically for you. Such as a cloud-based point of sale system that not only takes orders and payments, but also ties in online ordering. To takeout and delivery. Then it breaks down all the data so you can tweak your menu or set your staff schedule. From fine dining to food trucks, Spot On's integrating restaurant management system can help make running a restaurant less stressful and more successful. And you can get this end-to-end solution built specifically for your needs by a real person. Tanya Maniwo. She's a local spot-on account executive, and she'll be your partner the whole step of the way. Give her a call, 858 858- two one three7820 that's Tanya M at spoton.com
2: Joe van Gogh coffee yeah you gotta open yourself up like you're like having this home for the holidays 2021 blend which is unbelievable Matt are you getting the uh, the cranberry the hazelnut the milk chocolate
0: that's so funny I was just gonna say cranberry hazelnut notes of milk chocolate were you really Matt what, uh,
2: what? <laughs> of course. <laughs> The origins of this coffee are a little bit of a blend. You've got Ethiopia and the Americas, kind of Central and South America. This particular blend is notable because Joe Van Gogh has been spreading good cheer with local Habitat for Humanity affiliates every holiday season since 2009. Every bag sold, they donate 50 cents among Habitat Humanities in Durham, Orange, and Wake counties. They're proud to continue their partnership with the community and hope to encourage you to help build this holiday season with your local Habitat for Humanity. So find your local Habitat for Humanity and catch up on their latest volunteering projects and events. Habitat for Humanity transforms lives and communities by helping families purchase safe, decent, and affordable homes. Happy Holidays, yeah.
1: everybody.
0: Is it true that the genesis of Queen Burger was just you buying a flat-top grill at uh, Home
4: Depot or something like that and <laughs> cooking some burgers on it? Well, Yeah, I think, I think Michelle and I, well, I guess really what we did first is we, you know, I think you probably had this conversation with lots of people, but like at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't do anything. We just thought it'd be over, you know, event soon, quick, like two week lockdown and then we're going to get back to it. Yeah. So we did, we did an Instagram live show every day for the first 100 days. (laughs) Where we would teach people how to make cocktails, it was all. We would do some eccentric. dancing. It was yeah. I would dance. Mm-hmm. It was super fun. Um, Good dancer, by the way. Oh, thank you. We would uh, we would in, engage. It was a really cool way to engage the community, and honestly, no, I don't know that any single thing has ever gotten more like thank yous uh, that we've ever done. Not to, toot our own horn. It was surprising, honestly. But um, you know, we can we still get people that are like, oh, thank you so much. That was a great like moment, and then I think Michelle and I, sometime near the end of that, realized that. First of all, we were drinking at 4.30 every day cocktails, and that's not super healthy. Um, but also we were like, okay, well, we have to do something for our business at this point. And, you know, we had we had exhausted the limited amount of resources that we had to, like, you know, compensate for our employees because we were, you know, Kingfisher opened seven or eight months before the pandemic period. So, like, we right. weren't an old business. Um, and this was this was prior to, like, any big influx of money. I think it's kind of close to the first... PPP funding round and um yeah and so we were like talking through it and you know I had I think I had always wanted to do burgers and and um and as a team you know I think Michelle and I are really good at taking uh an idea or like a simple concept and being able to like really flesh it out because Michelle can see a space you know like um when we have uh trashy you know, 500 square foot parking lot, Michelle can say, okay, I can put a mural here and we can do this. And, yeah. and, 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 and we're pretty good at like bouncing ideas off of like, what if we buy AstroTurf? And then we're like, <laughs> okay, where do we get AstroTurf from? And so, well, you know, let's it just talk of, about
2: that. Let's talk about the, the look, the design. I think that's even kind of how where King comes in as well too, right? Like some of the visual and some of the, the aesthetic of the place. Is that fair to say King? Michelle I mean, kind
5: of deferred to. In, in a normal scenario, I would have, you know, trying to take a lead. But I kind of defer to Michelle, and this is a, as the brain trust. I think these two are are brilliant in that way. Um, and they'd already had so much success running, you know, those two businesses. Um, for me, it was more, you know, how do I evaluate the opportunities that are available in terms of like this multi-concept? Like, what does this space lend itself to? Um, so it was really intriguing in terms of like evaluating that distinctiveness. I think it's like. Underneath was basically said, like going to Glenwood Avenue. There was like a very distinct personality in Franklin Street, but like Durham's Main Street corridors, it like started to develop, and all these new, you know, transplants were coming to town. I'm part New Yorker, part Durhamite, so I empathize with, you know, what what you want from a city, and and then the differences for, with a town, like you know, something like Durham. So as the foodie culture developed, and we saw those needs, and you know, Michelle kind of having this dynamism of like, this is the vision, vision for this. This will be the name for this, and um sean kind of taking the lead on the food for me it was you know how do we build out these conversations and um really start to lean into the distinctiveness of like what durham is and what those conversations want to be and the the folks that are accustomed to meeting and you know gathering and talking about you know like the, the complaints we'll just say folks at durham like to like to really get into you know what's going on in their city and how it's changing and how they can contribute um, or, you know, keep certain things from happening and, and really lean into things that should be happening. So uh, we wanted to be that gathering space for those conversations and really kind of, you know, this, like, potluck narrative where people could do that over food and over drinks and, you know, maybe have a book club meeting and, you know, maybe record a podcast and, you know, shout us out, but also, you know, do some of this, have this discourse. So that I think that's why I came in, was really try to facilitate that broader conversation as someone who had lived in Durham for a lot of years and had been a tastemaker of a different sort, but could, but could kind of see that, that conversation taking place and taking form. Yeah,
0: tastemaker of a different sort. What were you doing before you met these guys?
5: Um, so I was at Duke University, you know, kind of running the marketing. I'm a long-term, long-time marketer, so I was one of the first um, participants in the real estate development that kind of started that new wave at West Village, uh, so downtown the rehabilitation of the tobacco warehouses. I was there way back when, when there was nothing to do in Durham. And we were kind of bringing everybody downtown and they were looking for things to do. So I was one of the folks that, yeah, I was on the real estate side, but I was also, you know, creating jazz events and, you know, big parties and fundraisers for nonprofits. Um, so since early 2000s, that was kind of my foray into, okay, I'm, you know, from New York, but I went to high school and college in Durham. Jordan High School graduate, also went to North Carolina Central University, worked at Duke University. So for me, like the ties run pretty deep. My father, you know, ran a church in Eastern. I lived in East Durham for a long time, and then uh, he was in radio at ninety-seven point five before it was in Raleigh. So I just have like different a different relationship with the city. I had understood and was hearing those conversations even as I moved back to New York. How folks, you know, some people were aligned with the change, and others wanted to make sure that Durham remained, like Durham's presence remained, um, as they started to feel like that was being lost. And I feel like Queens is a representation of like that that in between that middle ground where you know. There are different tastemakers who've come in. Kingfisher is brilliant. People love it. Um, how do we aesthetically you know, bring some of that value in have folks that maybe are new that didn't have that relationship prior to, like myself, but also you know, love and admire that and really want to join in. So um, just wanted to kind of be that safe space where people can come.
0: I think that's really cool. Yeah. How did you guys meet?
5: Well, me and Michelle, we're neighbors okay. in downtown uh, Trinity Park area for a while and I think she met me back when I was doing all the events that I had referenced earlier and then I kind of like let you know Sean and Michelle's turn you know different situation. I had left town to come back and then they um they were together and Kingfisher was in play and I was really just kind of marveling at that and and talking up this this notion of me doing something but yeah I let them lean into like how they evolved
2: when we were talking about Kingfisher and getting it going I, I even just I uh, think what was that uh, a holiday party at your place. You have a whole ceramic, what is it called? You have a studio, yeah. a studio back there because you were making, like, like. did you make this coffee mug that sure I'm holding did. right now? And you you make all these things. I know you did like the inlay of the bar uh-huh. at, at Kingfisher and also talk to us about that, the visuals and the aesthetic of the, of the design, because I know that's something that you hold near and dear to your heart.
3: I do. Um, I've always loved design, doing things myself. My grandmother was an artist and really gave me a lot of my design sense and my love for color. So when we started thinking about Queenies, I started thinking about, you know, how I wanted people to feel in here. And I really sort of leaned into a little bit of nostalgia. The whole uh, front wall has some like brown and orange and that came straight from uh, a sheet set that my parents had back in the 80s (laughs) so I just kind of wanted to bring in a little bit of that nostalgia and also everything a lot of the things in here are handmade this whole podcast room all the upholstery out there there's a lot of material from the scrap exchange I love reusing things or finding things Um, and I really wanted to put that care into it where people might not know that it's handmade, but I think they feel it, that there's a lot of attention to detail, and I didn't just go to, like, Crate and Barrel and buy a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's all unique. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, this mug is awesome. Like, it's cool. It's, like, it's so old school. It definitely has, like, a 1974 vibe kind of to it, but there's a cool charm in that, too.
3: Right. So I wanted to add, you know, as many details as I could in the space that are... You know, like cool and a little bit interesting and a, mm-hmm. a little bit handmade, where you might not know every detail, but you really feel like somebody probably put a, some thought into it.
2: Yeah. So, how does that work out then? Um, well, Sean, as you were mentioning, like kind of this like space, this community space, uh, I have to give a shout out to a friend of the podcast. I dined there recently and I gave him a note that I feel is what you're doing as well. And I'm speaking about Matthew Bettinger and um, Hank's. Hank's Downtown Dive, if I'm mm-hmm. saying this correctly. Yeah. Uh, Felicia and the girls and I went just over the weekend. Uh, we went to see the uh, the, the Chinese uh, Lantern Parade or so or just exhibit at the Coca Booth um, Amphitheater and then went over while we are in Cary to Hank's for dinner. The food is so amazing there, but the ambiance is, is just like on parallel with it. It's like you're cozy, you feel good while you're there. But then the food kind of blows you away with its simplicity with just a little, like, they take something very simple. They put it on its ear just to give it its uniqueness, if you will. And, like, we still are raving about the cauliflower they have there is Mm. unbelievable. Like, it truly is the best cauliflower I've ever had in my life. And I've now eaten it on both occasions. And it still was just as damn good the second time as it was the first time. But I like that they just provided us this, like, casual way of eating really comfortable but almost Almost, dare I say, fine dining food like they oh maybe not fine, but like there there was a, a heightened level of attention to detail to the food, but still in such a comfortable way. And uh, and I told them that I was like, man, this feels really good. Why are more places not doing this? But then cut to here I am at Queenie's to like talk about what we're doing here. And so I feel maybe that's kind of where we're at with the food culture, maybe. And I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit as far as kind of melding opening a brick and mortar to people to now come inside your place again and now sit down and enjoy and be there. Like maybe just talk to us about that approach and how you came up with the, the, the vibe and the menu.
3: Yeah, I think, um, I think for a lot of years there was a real focus on chef driven restaurants to the point where aesthetics didn't matter at all or, Mm -hmm. or very little. Um, and the comfort of diners didn't matter so much. So we would go in a lot of places that were...
4: Momofuku occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, That's what I think it's called. There were
3: places that were so loud that you couldn't talk to each other over a meal. Mm. Um, or felt cold. Either either were literally cold or just felt cold in the design. And so I really wanted to push back against that and make people feel really comfortable. Like this is a space they want to hang out in. Um, mm. You know, and, and don't feel like they're here just to eat a meal, and that's the only thing they're supposed to pay attention to, and then get out. Yeah. Um, I want people to just feel welcome. So I, I used to, you spoke about the holiday party at my house, I also used to do potlucks once a week, and invite friends and friends of friends and their families, so it was a rotating crew of, you know, between 10 and 40 people would show up every Monday. Yeah. Um, and just that feeling of welcoming people in, and they could come in whatever state they were in. Um have a meal, hang out, bring their kids, their parents, their friends, and not feel any pressure to, you know, come in and sit down and have a dining experience, which there absolutely is a place for that. Um, But we just wanted to have a little bit more of a casual feeling here where, yeah, you can eat, but that's not, you're not coming here just to sit down and have a meal and get out. You can can hang out.
2: I had this like parallel uh, discussion with a musician friend of mine way back in the day. And I've, I've only recently come around to it as a musician. I was always about learning the skill level of the instrument and like your, your chords and your scales and your, you know, modes and all the things that are technical to it. And almost to the point to a fault where I didn't care what instrument I was using. I'm like, it's not about the instrument. It's about the knowledge of the music. And my buddy was the opposite side. He's like, no man, I need a Rickenbacker. I need a Wurlitzer organ. I need like certain things. And I go, why do you need all these like effect pedals all that? He's like, because it's the sound. And in the end, all you're listening to is the sound of the, the music. It doesn't matter. It's not about the uh, the technique. It's about the sound. And so, like, in a way, in the end, it's about the flavor. It's about the taste of the food. It's not about, like, the, the technique that went in to do it. Now I've come around, but I think it's, it took me a long time to maybe, at the time, I needed to hone my skill level of a, as a musician to now it's like I want... And whether my wife knows it or not, I'm getting myself this new Gretsch guitar, <laughs> and putting it under the tr- under the tree because Santa's getting it, uh, and uh, and it's gonna be my new uh, present to me because I played on it, and it's the sound is what's so magnificent about it. And so it's like, it is about the aesthetic. It is about the, the, the little things, those fine tuned details that really separate you from the next, uh, business or person or whatever it is. It makes you have your own individuality, I guess, if, if that makes sense. I know. Well,
0: think I think I, from what you were first saying, it reminds me of what Paul Greco says. That Paul Greco was, uh, you might remember him. He was a wine director at, um, Grand Mercy Tavern in New York. And he's, pretty well known as a sommelier and the King of Riesling kind of thing. Um, but in many interviews, whenever he says, and he's a very like staunch guy and like very knowledgeable and like almost intimidating, but he says at the end of the day, a wine has to have a certain amount of yumminess, you know, so you can take all the technical aspects Mm -hmm. and you you didn't use sulfites, you farmed organically, whatever you did at the end of the day, does the wine taste good? It tastes good. Yeah. Yeah, Is it yummy? And so I think that's, I think, I think that's what you're going about, like, the sound, like, is at the end of the day, yeah, is it, the sound good? Is it pleasing to you? Yeah, because I
2: don't need to know that the musician knows, uh, you know, that this is a Mixolydian uh, scale and that he chose to do that one flatted fifth right there. Oh, that's a little weird. He decided, did he intentionally do that? The musician himself is probably like, oh, did I do that? No, I just thought that sounded cool and right. then did that. You know, that's like, you know, that's Paul McCartney, if you're watching any of the documentary stuff, it's like, he's like, I don't know how to read music. I don't know any of that shit. I just know what sounds good. And and then he just ended up making some of the most yeah. prolific music of all time,
0: you know. And to bring it back to your guys' businesses, you guys know what looks good and what tastes good. So, what does that mean? Because you're opening up a third business. Uh, this is not even three weeks old, but there's going to be a new iteration of Queen Burger,
4: right? Because uh, you're not doing enough, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, well, we do. We, I think, I think we seem like we do a lot, but we honestly just try and take advantage of the opportunities that seem like they're right. I don't know that we have said no to things, We so we're not, we're not just um, doing things just, just because, like, things. let's go. Yeah. Um, but uh, Queen Burger will be down by the Durham Bulls ballpark. Um, it will be a very uh, direct, you know, iteration of what we did out back that was embraced. Um, it was uh, kind of wildly um, voted... Durham's best new restaurant in the Indie Week, which was super cool. And um, I, I don't know, that kind of – it's all about confidence sometimes in this stuff. So, you know, like people <laughs> people say something, and you're like, well, I guess – if you said it enough, we'll believe it. So um, you know, I, I th- it was. Really... What was the secret to the burger, by the way? What's your, what's your uh, ground <laughs> there, grind? <laughs> the secret to the burger is that we didn't have any resources, so all we did was buy good products and make a super simple burger, mm. which is like the secret to In and Out, probably. Right. Um, yeah. So. Did you put mustard on the raw patty? That,
2: that's
4: <laughs> no, the, we didn't that's go. We secret. didn't go full In and Out. We made up our own burger, but it's basically was like, how do you make something when you don't employ any. Any professional cooks. <laughs> so way, how do we employ bartenders was like one of the was one of the main yeah. premise. Um, it's kinda like what Cardinal does with
2: the hot dog, right? They're oh, bartenders. I, Have you been to the Cardinal? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh my God! Please, uh, please come to come to Raleigh and okay. let us show you. And and you know, and even they're opening up more, more places out in Clayton and I think even you know uh, expanded areas. But let's um, no, I mean they themselves
0: well, they boil it in beer, right? I believe, and so. then put it on the. And they rotating, have a flat top pancha,
2: yeah. you know, and they just they 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 but they have the the split top burger. I mean mm-hmm. split top uh, uh, hot dog bun. And they give you a little chit, you know, like a a little thing you can mark off all the ingredients you you want, want. pick whatever. And so they're always different, always unique, but they're bartenders and they're just sitting back there. They're not like cooks, but also like, they're like, let's not think too hard about it. We're making hot dogs, folks. I mean,
4: everybody can make one if they're at home. So it's
0: to feed the beer.
4: Yeah. And, the and the, the, really what, what we were trying to do is take, take a food that can be a system, you know, cotton. All our all our bartenders are incredible cocktail bartenders. Really, we're super lucky that they work downstairs, and they're they're incredible at what they do. Um, but a lot of what bartending is once you uh, you know prep and you make the flavors and you know what the menu is going to look like and you're ready is a, is systems like how good can your system be and how efficient it is and how few steps do you have to take, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really what. You know, fast food restaurants are, you yeah, know, yeah. to the to the nth degree. You know, people make fun of the little salt and ketchup dispensers that McDonald's has, but you know, if you, you know, took away the the bad parts of McDonald's, like uh, you, their the systems, their systems are good, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. And oh, no doubt. They're they, built. To their their efficiencies,
2: so. everything. There's so,
4: nothing. Yeah. So that's the approach we were taking to burgers, which is we're going to do the opposite. We're going to buy really good products. So every Thursday, I drove to Baldwin Beef out in Yanceyville and picked up our beef fresh ground every week there. Brought it back. Uh, Grass-fed beef that's local to North Carolina. We put uh, we smashed some white onions into it, which uh, is like an Oklahoma style, but we sourced it basically by watching a lot of YouTube videos. Um, (laughs) Then we put Ash County Hoop Cheddar on it, which is really young cheese, um, really young cheddar cheese, so it's not super mild, but it melts really well. And then we made a special sauce that was... um, pretty much a classic special sauce. All we did was instead of adding ketchup, we browned some tomato paste or, you know, cooked down a little tomato paste and, and turned that in with Dijon mustard and Duke's mayo and then slapped that burger with some good pickles that a buddy of ours at Joel Schroeder, who used to work for us um, at Joel's Old North like Meats. Great dude. Um, and he made us pickles and, you know, we threw it on a Martin's potato roll and so all the ingredients yeah. were good and a smash burger is like a system. And three people could do it and you know, it was it was a thing that felt really good and natural, and then um, and then Steph came along and, and um, helped us kind of build out some more thoughts to it. Michelle, who's Steph? Uh, Steph is our uh, chef. Steph is our chef oh, here. Right. Um, who was our? You said
2: Stephanie Bell, is that right?
4: Yeah, Steph Bell. Yeah. Steph um, Bell, not yeah.
2: Stefania
0: Bell,
4: <laughs> from right. ESPN, right, uh, which I would like to talk right. to actually because uh, I need some help with my fantasy yeah, playoffs this week. Yeah, but I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Um, so we did that, and then Michelle. As she said about her uh, color palette from her parents' sheet set, um, she also just sort of mentally remembered the generalities of a veggie burger she used to make at her very first restaurant she ever worked at. So she came up with like our veggie burger recipe and patty. So those were like um, our two things and they were super well received. Yeah, but, I mean that's That's, cool. that's, that's really so, where it came from. That's going to be the recipe
0: for Queen Burger going forward. Queen and burger. so, is is there going to be is that uh, come in, get your burger and go, or is there going to be like a little beer? Okay. Get, so beer with your burger. So, this is
4: the this is the inside baseball portion of mm. this uh, thing. I think um, lean in. I th- yeah, for for anyone who's considering opening a restaurant, I would heavily advise you to lean on your bar program. I think. People should make that as big a part of your business as possible. It's a much more you know when you're working with a bunch of products that are shelf stable for the most part. and um, Have you been to Lexington, North Carolina by the way? To eat barbecue? <laughs>
0: Yes. I have. Okay. It but would t- throw you out of the county for saying that. <laughs> oh. right? <So>. Well, we <laughs> asked you can't every single <laughs>
2: one of the guys that works in the barbecue, like, would you sell beer? Would you sell, you know, li- liquor or whatever? They're like, nope, nope, nope. Because it's like an old school. There's like, like one barbecue joint that's grandma now Grandma wouldn't approve beer. it. Or, like, fair. This is like, you know, we don't do that. We sell oh. sweet tea. Well, let
0: me that's put a little it. star then. If no, you're but in Rye, I completely Durham, agree with <laughs> you, and I can't imagine if you're opening that kind
4: of business. Yeah. Also, you look at the food cost versus liquor cost. It, exactly. That's, that's where you and can make debating. your money. And, yeah. and for us, when we think about being open till 2 a.m., right, the, I think one of, the, one of the reasons we can do that is because some restaurants, it takes six people on a line to make all their food. Mm-hmm. Some restaurants, it takes one person. And if you can be the one person... Uh, cooking, if it's slow, if your bar is busy enough or you have, you know, if that is a point of view of your restaurant, it can it can supplement that and, if, and you can look at costs all kinds of different ways. So to me, uh, to get back to your question about what Queen is gonna be, I think a bar is always sort of a central part of what Michelle and I create because that's where Kingfisher came from, that's the business we understand the best and we see that that is like a really... If you can make that the consistent part of your business, it can supplement some of the more difficult things. Yeah. Um, and so Queen Burger will be a fast food restaurant with a bar, basically. Nice. Um, yeah. it, is, it is going into the former only burger space. So it is a burger shop through and through already. Um, we, are, we are building out a bar and, uh, and we're, we're going to tear out the storefront. So it'll be completely operable. So like the whole thing can slide away. So when you're walking to the ball game, you can kind of feel like you're almost on a concourse already. Nice. Because um, it's Grab right down the left. Walk you, into the stadium. You probably can. Yeah. I, they probably let you. I don't know. But, I do um, have
2: a, uh, like,
4: I have a dream
2: that maybe, maybe we'll all come together on this dream and we'll make this happen someday with a Queen Burger. But I see, you know, like an empty Carl's Jr. Gen- or what is it called? Hardee's out here. Or like, you know, like a defunct. Burger King or something, like a business that was once one of these big companies. I want to take over one of those and turn it into a mom-and-pop shop and, like, use, like, all of their kitchens because they're so efficient and done so well. It's like the rebellion operating a, a TIE fighter, you know? I want to <laughs> be Poe Dameron in a, in a TIE fighter and be like, damn, this thing can move, yeah. you know? Because it's built right, and, and I also like what it says without saying it, sure. you know? It's like, yep, we took over McDonald's. And now it's a Queen Burger, or now it's Queen, you know, or whatever it is. Tony's Taco Tube or well, something. that's what well, I want to see. There's an empty McDonald's no, two blocks, they blocks from they here. Tore it down. It's gone. It's
3: gone. I oh. think
2: that's part of the empire is like <laughs> <laughs> they cover their tracks. Oh, they don't want. They clearly did. They don't yeah. need. They don't um, want you. Uh, I just saw Hardee's in Nightdale near where Crafton need. is, and I've been like looking at it, and it it went from a Hardee's. Now it's a uh, it's a Cookout. Oh. It's like they all were like, oh, empire to empire, all
4: right, you can take it. We ain't letting the public take this I, thing. I guess when things get torn down or closed in Durham, they get torn down and built taller. So, yeah, Maybe someone someone's putting happening. in an apartment complex there. Yeah.
0: So I have to ask you guys a question, and this is not to be gossipy, but I think it's something to understand within the industry. Um, and it's akin to actually somebody else that we're going to have at some point on the podcast, like the University Club um, of uh, Kelly Santanelle and uh, Jessica Lee. They were married had that space, have a kid, uh, got divorced, and still run that place together. You guys are now going to be running three restaurants. We're in a relationship and are no longer. How do you maintain a... Um, how does it work? How, how do you... Well, I, the word I want to... How do you maintain a uh, positive work life in that sense?
3: Yeah, I think it takes a lot A lot of effort from both of us. I think it takes a lot of conversation. It takes a lot of work. It's hard. We were already talking about separating, maybe separated when we signed the lease for Queenie's. So we did that with the conversation of do we want to do this if we're Hmm. not in a relationship? Mm -hmm. And we decided to go forward with it um, because we really respect each other as business partners. We work. Really well together, and our skills are very complementary. So, we both saw the value in continuing to do that, regardless of what our relationship was or yeah. is. That's really By the impressive.
2: way, so, listeners, so Matt doesn't come off like a total asshole. We did ask these two <laughs> yeah. if we could mention this before we just got on the podcast, and it was a conversation, so uh, either way, we i just come off out. like a total <laughs> asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, but, but yeah, so um, th- this is a tough business, and, and of course, like, we literally just recorded a podcast yesterday with Matthew Register and Rodolfo Sandoval about the quality of life. It, like, was specifically focused on work life balance and how you do things together and and it's what, what we came down to in the very end was it's really fucking hard and you have to trust a lot of your staff and then implore people to like give responsibility as much as possible to others and not be the, the hero at the end of the day and try to do everything and like as much as you can diversify your business and your responsibilities and all that is like the, the keys to those things but then also yeah I mean We're all, you know, in relationships and and not in whatever. And it's like you got to manage, like, there are very high highs and very, very low lows in these situations. So I applaud you for being able to be adults about it because I think you both know, and maybe you should say this more than I would, but you have something here with the businesses. And so the old term, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because one part of this relationship isn't exactly how you maybe initially wanted it to be. But the other half of it, your business relationship,
4: is doing well. So maybe care to speak to that? Sure. Too personal? Uh, No, it's fine. Um, Matt said, um, "Stay positive." I would say, I would say, just to be real, it's not. There's lots of times where it's not positive. You know, there's lots of, you know, arguments that start off as, you know, conversations about something at work that inevitably, get tied into your personal personal relationship and. That's super hard. I wouldn't wish that on most business relationships, but because Michelle and I do have mutual respect for each other, and we we do think we do things better together than not mm-hmm. s- professionally, especially. <laughs> you know, I think we work through those things, but it's not like there's some switch that you can turn off, and you're like, well, now we're just coworkers, and this is, has no background, and you know, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna see each other from nine to five, and then we're gonna part our part ways and see each other. At, Again at the Christmas party or something. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's
2: no special sauce. It's right. Then, no.
4: No. You just you just decide you're gonna do something and and you do it. And I I I actually think that that's always been one of Michelle's greatest strengths is like um, there's a lot of things here like when she talks about creating a space that like are unreasonable to do. Like she um, she made this whole bar top. Right. She does that. She's made both bars, but this one was poor. It's like it's like. Three tons of concrete. That she she just decided I'm gonna figure out how to do this. And you know, I am not that person. I am a person who figures out how to do things, but I am much more of like a "how do I get it done" kind of person. Now, Michelle, yeah. what's what of Sean's greatest strengths? <laughs> yeah. Now we're in therapy. Yeah. Um, I she she knows them, and I'm sure she can speak to them. But but like, um, basically that we have decided to do something and you just sort of make that commitment again the next day and the next day, whether it sucked or whether it was great or whether, you know, it's somewhere in between and it's always on that spectrum and I think when we think about what we want in business, we we think about what we want for the community, we think about how we want our staffs to be happy, you know, like the people who work here. Mm-hmm. Like I think we try and make choices that are that are not so much like Michelle and I centered at this point. Um, it's, it's fun to make spaces and, and create things together. And, and so we, we try and make choices that are proactive in that way. And, and, uh, and if, if you have like a value system or a mission, it's a little bit easier to fall back on it when you do have those like, oh, uh, like just it's so hard kind of moments. Well, and do you have specific roles
2: in this company separate from each other, like, do you have you defined those roles to where y- each of you can kind of have their own space?
3: Yeah, I would say they're not defined, but we definitely have our own lanes. Like, I I do the design, and I fix things <laughs> physically, mechanically. King's laughing things. over here on the phone. I make, you know... Uh,
4: if there's something to be done with a power tool, Michelle's doing it, not uh, me. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um... <laughs> So I'm like the space person, designer and fixer and, and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And Sean is the, the people person and the paper person and the tech person. Um,
2: more operations, More would op,
3: Way more operations. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, and I think there's a little bit of overlap here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, we both bartend. We both manage. Um, we both work with staff. But... Um, I think having our own lanes that just overlap a little bit is really helpful. So we're not we're not trying to do the same thing all the time. We kind of yeah. just leave each other. Well,
2: and that too sometimes like you do want to have overlap in in certain lanes because then someone feels like they're on an island when they're they're doing something they almost can. Feel like they have no support in a thing, you know. It's like, well, I do all of this, and it's like, well, no, no, no. We all do a little bit of everything, but this one is the one you're kind of taking the the lion's share of. You know, I'll put the the wet clothes into the dryer sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But Felicia's doing the laundry, basically. You know, like you should be do something to uh, to make an analogy. But yeah. So okay, so uh, and and King, this has got to have been kind of a unique environment as well because you guys have known each other so like what like working now as like a a a three-person ownership any thoughts uh, from your perspective and and how it is to kind of like run the businesses together as as all three of you i mean it's unique because obviously they have this pre-existing relationship and i'm i've kind of been this like lone gunman in
5: all of the ventures i've been in so i think we're learning to communicate with one another and um, to kind of be in relationship with one another in this capacity because I have a lot of the, like, crossover skills. But at, at my core, I'm a marketer, right? So, like, that's where I lean in. But there are a lot of other things where, like, I want to, like, position myself. But I recognize already, like, okay, this front of house, and back, that they're going to do this. And um, there's a, it's going to be a steep learning curve. But I think it's been good because we all have a mutual respect for one another's capabilities and um, a desire to succeed in this market. I think just, like, I genuinely respect their brilliance, um, not based on, like, prior success, but just, like, conversations we would have about, you know, what does this mean and the value proposition more so than just, like, hey, we all know that we have to sell alcohol more than food, right? Like, we get the, the <laughs> calculus behind it, right? But, like, we also understand mm, more people what this would mean for this city and uh, that it's a very distinct opportunity that we want to take advantage of, so yeah being in a relationship with one another and learning to communicate and me kind of being long distance in and out I've got some family there but I'm not in town doing the things um that they're doing and I, I know I was I'm appreciative for their uh you know allowing me to do that but you know I'm trying to position myself where I'm there more often to, to do some of the things that they that they're doing so um
2: we'll, we'll get there well I I love this I mean you you've thank you for your your honesty your openness like it's never as pretty as people think it is from the outside looking in but it also doesn't have to be as broken and 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 dirty as like one might perceive you know cuz then if you hear all these things then you might think like oh what's this what's that it's like no nah, well they kind of just let them go back to the laundry thing they they put their laundry out on the clothesline and you can kind of see it but it seems like you've done a good job of understanding who you are where you're at and what the steps are to continue the business and and yeah, you have something good here. You guys, this sounds stupid, but you seem like your friends, so that's important. I mean, Matt and I at each other all the fucking time. Yeah. And I, I said to somebody recently, I'm like, I have two wives.
4: <laughs>
2: and then I said on the podcast the other day, if I could, if oh, I said it on the Wine Club podcast, I was a guest on somebody else's show, and both... The, the two hosts uh, are female, and each of them have had a baby or about to have a baby all within the same year. And I said, Oh, yeah, Matt and I don't have that problem. But if I was going to have a baby with a man, it would be Matt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're, we're like brothers at this point, but at that same point, we're at each other's throats. Yeah.
0: You know, I have to use my I statements and my feeling statements.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah. Well, thank you for letting us barge into your podcast studio and, uh, and this letting might us be come. our
0: technically best sounding podcast ever yeah, how dare you <laughs> <laughs> y'all are see there we go again.
4: <laughs> you don't respect my <laughs> audio engineering Matt y'all are welcome anytime to, to speak to the podcast studio um, just before whatever um, yeah the podcast studio is free anyone can use it very shortly or maybe maybe when this podcast comes out I don't know you'll be able to sign up on like a little sign up genius thing on our website oh cool um, there are no prerequisites you know we're sitting here. There are microphones. There are uh, headphones. There's a computer. Look, um, we we really wanted to tear down any barriers to trying this out. You know, people have wonderful stories to share. I think the way that podcasts have sort of exploded really speaks to that, and um, it's it's as much about the individual and, and the and the thing and how passionate they are about what they're talking about, to to whether these things are good or not. And I think everybody's got a passion. So if if you're interested in Trying to talk about it, Um, this is just a space for you to give it a go. Um, yeah, and I'll echo that same
2: point. Like, I do know a, a decent amount about audio engineering and all, and I couldn't figure out how to connect into your system because everybody's system is different. But don't let that be a deterrent for anyone that wants to come in here because, simply put, you're in a nice room, and you could, what I did is I just brought my own personal handheld recorder and we were recording in here, and the sound is pretty nice. You could literally just use an iPhone in the center of a room and record. I mean, that's what Doug Benson did on I Love Movies for, like, four years before he figured out how to do it for real. So, l- don't let that be a barrier to entry. The idea is that this is a nice, solid, quiet room that you can have a great conversation with. And then when you walk out, you can eat some delicious That's
0: food. Right. You so, get your yeah. burger and your
2: beer and be, in,
4: be good to go.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, again, thanks for having us and sharing your story. Always great to see you guys. So for everybody out there, check out Kingfisher. Come to Queenie's. When Queen Burger's open, you'll definitely want to go there. You'll not only eat and drink, But you'll talk, read, podcast, very merrily.
4: Thank you, guys. Thank you. you.
1: Thanks for listening to the NCF&B Podcast. And if you've stuck with us this long, review us on iTunes. And remember, five stars are encouraged. Proof alcohol ice cream. We pour art and science into every bite an artisan ice cream company from Columbia, South Carolina. Proof is changing the way people think about dessert. Triangle Wine Company, locally owned and operated. Triangle Wine Company is committed to creating the best shopping experience in fine wine and craft beer.